the Speak Your Mind, the podcast with Carla Pava. Today, we will be speaking with a special guest, Henry Calderon. He will be sharing his story with us. Welcome, Henry. Tell us your story and how it started. It has been a very interesting journey, I will say. Um, I was born in Lima, Peru, just after the Second World War in 1946. It's hard to believe how many years have gone by. Yeah, for sure. At, at the same time, it feels like it was just yesterday. And um, how was it that you know, your life there in Peru as a child growing up. Share with us a little bit of that up growing. Well, I guess I guess what it took is where you were born, you know, Lima, a city uh, surrounded by the Pacific Ocean. And as living uh, just about a 20 minute walk to the ocean was, just an incredible experience. Um, was born. Um, I was the last child of my parents, uh, Pedro and Maria, and um, surrounded by four beautiful sisters. Amazing. So you could, you could see, um, you know, who I was then. Um, the only boy, the last boy. Um, I did have a brother who. Um, my parents told me that you know, die at the age of 16. So with me being born a boy, it was just a blessing from the skies for them. Oh, wow. Well, my condolences. And uh, that must have been really hard for your parents and your family. Yes, it was because he um, he was a very smart student and, um, you know, he died at the age of 16. So somehow it was it was very hard for for my mother and both my father. And did they share with you the story behind it all of your sibling? They did. They did. Um, primarily because you know we were a very close family, and um, and how my sisters became to be my mentors as I was growing up in, in Peru. Uh, you know, I was born, my father was 53 then, my mother was 39. And um, so somehow as my sisters were already, you know, uh, teenagers and adults, um, I became more like um, their child. Yeah, for sure. It's. Um... You know, I find it very interesting when um, couples have, uh, you know, children in their very late, um, you know, age. And uh, I find because a child is like uh, bringing life to the circle, right? And I guess it was like, um, you know, they have a loss, but God gave them another miracle. Yes, and and they get to... um see it all over again and um, they have more time they have more patience and also they have an incredible help which is the older siblings who are around you uh, 
giving you all those uh, new opportunities that um, some somehow they couldn't do it. So so it, it, it was great for me to, to have both my parents mature, older, but yet having my sisters who, you know, who were school teachers and one of them was a fashion designer and my other sister who was um, having children at the same time as my mother was giving me birth. Um, my sister was also ready to give birth. So, so you can see, you can see the, um, you can see the dynamics of those years back in the uh, back in the 40s. Yeah, it's amazing. Imagine like the mom and daughter. I've seen stuff like that, and it's like wow, mind blowing. Because then it's like um, they're actually holding hands together and going through those steps together. Um, obviously, your mother. Uh, she has been there, done that, but for your sister and having that companionship, right? It's like, yes. wow, amazing. Yeah, so it became a, a very close way to uh, to live life in, in, in a beautiful way. Wow, and, um, you know, while growing up and heading to your teens, um, you know, how was uh, life going to school and trying to discover who you are as a person? Well, the beauty where we lived, which was a district called Jesus Maria in Lima, Peru, a well-known district today, um, we have both the, um, the areas where the super wealthy live and the middle class live. And um, the lack for us, our parish was um, was full of amazing, amazing people. We um, we had the uh, the Franciscans from Montreal have set up their home base uh, about five blocks away from our house, and and that was the parish where I ended up going to since the age of, for argument's sake, seven years old. Okay, and um, I guess the, um, it sounds like you were brought up with a lot of love, a lot of, uh, you know, um, celebration within your culture, um, and a lot of support within one another, and obviously family seems to be the number one thing. And experiencing also the um, the elements of giving, um, as the Franciscans were uh, revitalizing cities in in Peru, in the Amazon, and in Lima, building up schools, uh, building up uh, a better life for Peruvians was something that I was able to experience since an early age in my life, and that has stayed with me. Absolutely. It's um, it's in your blood, right? So, yeah, and, yes. Uh, and you live it. Exactly. And now, um, you know, as we move forward, when did you decide to uh, to leave uh, Peru and come to Canada? Somehow, you know, when I look back. Um, and as I was being groomed 
in its early years with the uh, with the Canadian society already being put before me. Um, as I was finishing high school, I had two options. One, to stay in Peru, and as my mother and father were uh, helping me to, to think in terms of what my career was going to be, and, um, and my mother having a sister who's um, who my older cousins were going into medical schools and being dentists and being doctors. And so, so I had the option to stay in Lima and go to medical school. At the same time, um, as I was getting pretty close with the Canadian, uh, with the Canadian group, an opportunity came to me as to um, taking on a, a scholarship to study at a university in in uh, in Canada in British Columbia, Notre Dame University, and um, and it was not an easy decision because I was going to be leaving my parents, I was going to be leaving Peru and going to a foreign country to study and also learning a new language like English at the same time. So that was the first sort of a thought that came to my mind and having finished my high school with great marks and but the admissions to universities were uh, at the time difficult. Uh, it, it wasn't easy to get into universities during that period. You have to go through entrance and admission exams. And uh, so I was already given the opportunity and I, and I took it. Yeah, I can only imagine that, right? Because um, did you had to uh to take ESL as English your second language? No, because at that during that period it wasn't one of the conditions, it wasn't one of the requirements. And as long as I had the opportunity to take on lessons and study at the same time as I was taking my courses, and I have to prove in the first year that I had um, a very strong command of the English language, um, then the scholarship was renewed every year. And what is that, um, the courses you were taking was towards, uh, you know, uh, which career were you trying to proceed at that time? Well, I mean, when, when you were taking your arts degree, um, I started, I finished my high school uh, studying science. So I had chemistry, biology, mathematics, uh, all those top courses that I learned uh, during my high school years. If I would have done that here in Canada, I would have been going to medical school in Canada. However, um, because I didn't have the English at the, uh, at the same time, um, it was not the discipline that I could have pursued. I took up philosophy and sociology as my, um, and my, uh, and my main courses. And that gave me an overall feeling that it was good during that period that this Bachelor of Arts on philosophy, on philosophy and sociology would be something that I can explore 
and um, and pursue it further. So yeah. I had a very dramatic switch from science to art, and uh, which is you know something that most kids at the age of 18, 19 will probably were not encouraged to do. Now that you are in Canada and you're trying to pursue, uh, you know, the arts. And um, how was your journey while in Canada as we lead towards your um, adulthood? Well, it, it was good. Um, the beauty is that coming to Canada, I already had a full knowledge of the French language because I studied French when I was, since I was seven years old, living in a sort of Canadian French community in Lima. Um, so doing the transition into adulthood and finishing university and getting my degree, um, then what do you do next? Um, you uh, pursue your um, further degrees into education and become a teacher, or you turn around and say, hey, you know what? Um, maybe I will get married. So marriage came into the picture right after few hours after graduation. And um, so that puts you into that sort of a, kind of like a camp where you have to um, get a job. Yes, so you can uh, provide for the family, right? Yeah, that's right. So, so the beauty of it is that, um, you know, during that period back in the 70s, um, there were jobs, there were opportunities, way better than they are today. And um, so where, where do you go? You, you can work for the government, you can work for the private sector. And I went with the private sector. Okay. And then um, while you were working in a private sector, um, did that have anything to do with fashion? Well, interesting enough, when I go back and look at it today, um, my first job coming out of university was the singers, the singer company of Canada. And sewing machines, singers taught the world how to sew. So I had an opportunity to learn about patterns and fashion and uh, designers and and everyone who was pretty much um, being attached to fashion. And that happened to be in Ottawa. Now, of all cities, Ottawa was not into fashion as Toronto was or any other major city like Montreal. So somehow I got to see uh, the Canadian designers based in Ottawa, how they were doing those beautiful wedding dresses and how they were actually bringing fashion into the world of government, for argument's sake, who, who at the end of the day didn't see fashion as sort of a, a major component. However, at the same time, we were seeing uh, the diplomatic world who were part of the fashion world in Ottawa because of their social lives. I see. Wow, that must have been quite something because 
like you said, the fashion is more at uh, in Toronto and Montreal, and the fact that you were in a city where it's not its forte, right? And But that's... I like how I like how you look at it as like um, it was a great experience. Oh, it was it was fascinating, but I didn't think that that was going to be my final um, my final steps in my journey of careers because Singer was looking at me more um, as sort of as someone who could probably move to New York and work with them because they were making engines for airplanes. And, oh, I uh, and because I had the scientific knowledge of understanding very quickly how a sewing machine worked. And they were in the process of designing new sewing machines where the sewing will be more digital sewing. Uh, it, it became very, very interesting. Um, and the opportunity was also given to me. I said, like, Henry, um, you know, you should be in New York working with that. We're designing engines for airplanes. That would have been a complete different sort of a journey that I would have ended up doing, living in New York City and, and working with uh, airplanes. And how did that make you feel like the thought of, okay, maybe, you know, what, what made you hold on to not proceed to that journey? Well, um, the, the lifestyle of working in the retail environment uh, was, was good, but it, it wasn't lucrative enough. And, um, and then, you know, you spend two years with the Singer Company of Canada, and then you turn around and you say, well, what other opportunities there is in Ottawa outside the government? Um, The, the private sector that I was becoming of interest to me was real estate development. And uh, an opportunity came to me to join a company by the name of Campo Corporation, who were a company who were building cities around the world, who were building cities across Canada. And that interested me um, to a large extent. And, and I was able to, to become part of, a, of, a, of the team in Ottawa. And uh, so that became my, my next uh, real experience. So on that um, time, when you led towards that, you know, career choice, were you a father already? Did you have your first child already? Yes. Yes, Christopher uh, was being born in Ottawa, and, uh, and and that was taking me into the realm of fatherhood, and uh, certainly that became uh, a very positive thing for me to stay with the corporation for the number of years I did, and and continue to learn with them how cities were being built in this country and what it took uh, to do them politically, financially, and and from the design point of view. So I, I got to learn uh, a, a very interesting uh, trajectory of 
multi-million dollar projects at the same time, a company who was growing from 500 million and eventually wanted to be a $1 billion company. Um, they they turned around, they said, well, we can't stay in Ottawa. And I was able to move with the executive to Toronto and set up a new home base. Oh, wow, that's really good. So you moved the, the whole family to Toronto and uh, to establish there, eh? Well, you know, unfortunately, you know, as relationships, you know, sometimes you work on them and they don't become what you thought they were going to be. Um, I was able to to move just me and my son Christopher staying in Ottawa with his mom, who was with the public service and uh, pretty much a very strong uh, academic uh, person and working with the, uh, at the level with the official languages. So her job was in Ottawa and her career was in Ottawa. Being a father for the first time, how, uh, how was that experience? How did it make you feel? Well, it, it, you know, it's something that you can't really um, sort of look at it and say, you know, how can we, how can we make the, the best of both worlds of being a father and living in a different city and the commuting um, is where you make a commitment to it and uh, and and live uh, the life of your child even so you may be in a different city to be as strong as it could be if you were in the same city but then after when you went to toronto um you would go and visit uh whenever you can i'm assuming oh yeah it, it was uh, it was a commitment that every second weekend i was be driving to ottawa or vice versa, Christopher would be flown to Toronto for the weekends. And, and you know, during that period, um, you know, in relation to today, uh, Christopher, the age of 10 years old, will be in an airplane by himself, and Eric Cannon will make sure that he will be delivered, you know, right to the gate in Toronto and vice versa in Ottawa. So it, 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 we were living a, a very interesting period of freedom, uh, a, a period of trust, and uh, that your children could travel, uh, travel internationally, you know, and the airlines, you know, took on the responsibility of making sure that the kids will be uh, well taken care of. My parents, we all felt very comfortable, very positive about them, you know, traveling by themselves and their, you know, all their, with all the security that was available at the time. We're going to take a quick break and we will be right back. Hello, have you heard about Deus of Flames candles? Well, let me tell you, their collection is absolutely amazing. Their candles is made with crystals and provide a very beautiful fragrance. They do have a love candle, protection, wealth, and energy. So check out dealsofflames.com and order your candle today online because their vision is to make sure you are loved, protected, 
wealthy and filled with positive energies in all levels of your life. Let's face it, candles are a universal symbol of light, warmth, and hope. So don't forget, order your candle today. story and you know as the years go by and and, and your journey in your life continues to be um you know you will go into other relationships and uh, over a period of a span um i had two other children uh sebastian and sophia but at the same time, going back to the early stages on, on my university, I did have one more child, uh, Don, and um, who who was adopted on the early stages. Uh, her mother unfortunately died, but we were reunited um, after a number of years, and it's been a beautiful journey since. Oh, wow. How was that when um, you got to find out that you had Dawn as your child and then knowing the passing of the mom? How did that make you feel? Well, you know, it was something that um, we all uh, look forward to it. It is something that we always have with us. And uh, and it was, it, it was just beautiful. That's, you know... That's something that I read stories about it, and uh, today uh, is what you make out of it is the journey that uh, you want to ensure that for the next remaining years of your life that that you make it a positive thing. When you reconnected, um, how was that? Family had her own family then, beautiful family. And uh, so what happened during those years were, uh, were children being given for adoption. Uh, the rules were there was no news of them in any shape or form on the government changed the rules. So when, um, when Alberta, and she was born in Calgary, Alberta, um, when the rules were changed, then children were able to find their birth parents. And uh, so that's how that's how it happened. Well, she reached out because um, I didn't have any information uh, that the mother has left. And um, so somehow uh, me being in public life uh, certainly was pretty much very, uh, very easy for her to find out uh, where I was. And, and, and it was a beautiful uh, letter uh, and communication that we had and um, and I must to say that I'm so happy that it did happen. Wow, that's amazing. That's very, um, you know, um, these type of things in life, uh, there's always a reason why it happens and the fact that you get the opportunity to reconnect and heal those wounds or whatever it is that it's there. It's uh, it's amazing. Yeah, and and it's a positive thing, and I, and I think the advice for many, um, you know, for many people who 
who are still working on uh, trying to find their birth parents is that don't don't give up unless you know unless you are in two different countries, three different zones that you know the rules are different. But certainly, I mean, when it happens in this part of the world, yeah, I, I, from the stories that I've been reading, certainly uh, are becoming more positive stories of reuni- reuniting families and and bringing brothers and sisters together and um, getting to know each other. And um, but the beauty of it is that um, with all my existing children, they all have welcome her in, in the most beautiful way with open arms and um and it's it's an it's an affair complete yeah it's uh sounds very um beautifully um you know connected you know and um now i do know that as we you move forward with your life and all that unfortunately your uh, marriage came to an end. Uh, e- yes, but it remained a sort of a, the best friends that okay. we ever had. So, um, share with us, you know, how you, you remain that best friends uh, relationship because nowadays I find it, uh, people actually. Don't want to be friends anymore they just want to kind of you know be apart and forget about that person or whatever it is becomes like a very sour kind of uh, moment um i think it would be nice if you could share with us um about how do you guys you know maintain that and why well i think one of the key things that you have to think about it is the the health and the state of mind of your children that you had with and how you want them to grow and how you want them to become to be. And when that comes into the um, into the equation, uh, all other factors should become secondary to it. And, uh, and I think that's where I put the energies into it is that you know, um, they became our primary responsibility at the end of the day, and uh, and they will feel and they should feel that their parents are still pretty much two unselfish human beings that um, they will put other things aside and they will think first of their mental health of their children and everything that it goes with it and you share moments and times like Christmas and Thanksgiving and all those important dates that you always spend together and you continue to help each other and continue to support each other and continue to build that infrastructure that is important for them. Mm, Yeah and while going through that uh, you know moment in your life obviously um, how did you deal with did you like um, deal with any emotions or any struggles within you, even though you're friends, but was it like a mutual decision? Yes, it was mutual. And, and, and I think the struggles become, or the healing process becomes 
when you start doing other activities and uh, for example with me i became more strong uh, with my development of sports and as a tennis player as a tennis coach i became pretty much um putting that energy into it and and so when you have this other element that will help you to uh, continue to have your day-to-day life uh, outside your career, outside the job that you're performing, uh, that becomes a strong tool to have. And um, and I took up other sports like, you know, I became a polo player, I, I got attached to horses. And so somehow your life continues to exist, but in a very positive way. And uh, so then you then you're able to deal with any struggles that or challenges that may become in front of you, and and be able to deal with them. Yeah. And um, now, when when did you discover the passion for tennis and for the polo? Was it within that transition of your healing? Well, my tennis my tennis was always with me since I was. Growing up in, in, in Lima, Peru, uh, tennis was always part of my um, my outdoor activities outside not having become a soccer player, for argument's sake. Um, so I took that all the way to university. And during my university years, I became a tennis instructor in Nelson, BC. And, um, and, and that, it stayed with me as sort of a, a very primary source of entertainment. Um, polo became at a later date when my friends from Alberta, Calgary moved to Ontario and their kids were amazing equestrian riders. And as I was spending time with them up, up in their farm up in Mono, um, I had the opportunity to run the horse more often and that's where polo became part of my journey. Looking back at um, you know at your whole journey, um, and you know, and you coming to Toronto with your career, when did you leave that job in order to focus on your main uh, fashion uh, career? And when did that fashion really kicked in that you said, you know what, this is what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? Well, it, it was interesting because uh, the corporation uh, went through their journeys of up and downs and moving moving us to Toronto, the deal was it's very clear. Like, you're going to have more opportunities when you move to Toronto and you're going to be able to see the world with different eyes. Uh, being in Ottawa, you, you could only see just certain sense. But when you move into a larger city, you're, you're going to see yourself as sort of expanding your, your mind. And, um, and, and the beauty of it is that say, you know, you're not married to us and uh, you can pursue other opportunities. And, what happened to me is having learned to build cities and develop great cities with this great company. Uh, you know, we were, you know, um, we were entrepreneurs. Uh, we started with the Harbor Castle Hotel in Ottawa, Harbor Square, 
the Scotia Tower became part of our mega projects, uh, I was able to see while we were doing those projects, um, the state of neighborhoods in Toronto. And I became um, very interested in working with communities. And that to a point it took me uh, to look at projects like the West Toronto Junction, I became their executive director. And, and today you can see how we built that community to be a successful community for the neighborhood of uh, the West End of Toronto in Hyde Park. And, um, and I became interested for a number of years uh, revitalizing neighborhoods. Now within, within the component of revitalizing neighborhoods, my role was to bring opportunities into those neighborhoods. And within those opportunities, I brought in the arts, culture and entertainment. And within the arts and culture, fashion and film became part of the fabric of those neighborhoods. Okay, and when you're in that zone of that fashion, um, you know, and creativity, how does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel pretty good at the end of the day because you were able to see from, from ground zero how a beautiful design will end up on the shelves or will end up on, on, on the hallways of great retail stores. And yes. people want to wear them on the runways and, and, the, and, and the magic of the music and lights and everything else that is attached to it. Uh, but it's working on the earliest stitches with that young designer who, who has a vision, who has a mission, and who has a goal to design something that the world will love. Yeah, and your your work has been published in various uh, platforms, right? Yes, yeah. You know, we have uh, we had had interviews with different magazines, different publications, and um, and my continued interest in influencing fashion at all levels um, has been of interest uh, to many people, and, and I think. It, it, you know, let's not forget, it's an industry that dresses the world in many different ways and it's something that we have to continue in making it stronger and stronger. Yeah, well, fashion is kind of like um, in everyone's day-to-day life, right? Um, I, I think it, today um, we look at it as, as the multi-billion-dollar operation industry, and um, can't deny that that's the first thing that you do in the morning is you look as to what you want to wear today. Have you taken this to internationally or just within Canada? Well, right now I've been keeping my focus in Canada, but since I start traveling a little more often to Latin America to Lima. And I was uh, been invited to perhaps uh, putting together some packages for fashion shows in Lima, and uh, working pretty close with some of the Peruvian designers. And uh, and because so many international chains now, 
are positioning themselves in Latin America to a large extent. And, you know, the interest that I have developed now is to eventually work with the people that are putting together the Lima Fashion Week and, um, and, 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 and make it a reality. Wow. And uh, how does that, like the thought of it, of, you know, being involved in these projects internationally, um, you know, it must be very exciting when you think about it and you have that vision. Oh, it is. Uh, it gives you more years to look forward to it. Uh, and, and because what happened to Toronto over the past seven years that we attracted a lot of our international designers, we had now the opportunity to connect with them and invite them to other parts of the world, which they thought that it would be a long, it, it would be a long journey to, to go to, but you know, now we're making it shorter. Yeah, and I do know that um, you also have presently another project that involves children that you have in mind. Can you share with us a little bit of that? Sure. Um, you know, tennis has always been a very interesting part of my uh, journey. And, uh, and as I see my grandchildren taking up on tennis and see the opportunities they have, I also been able to see um, that there is other children uh, and I'm probably looking at more with eyes in Lima and to create perhaps a tennis school for them. And also at the same time, working with a very close friend of mine uh, that there is more opportunities to create uh, tennis facilities for less advantaged children here in Toronto uh, where they will have ability to to play tennis because it's still a pretty much very expensive sport no matter which way you look at it and um, and ha because tennis has now become a very strong sport in Canada but let's be real I mean those tennis players who are today the top in the world it didn't happen you know, with with virtually nothing. It, it cost their parents thousands and thousands of dollars for them to be in, in the top 10 in the world. We also want to bring that kind of opportunity to less, uh, to, to make it more affordable to that sector in those communities where Tennis has now reached a level of connectivity to them. Yeah, that's like um, amazing, you know, when you start getting that project on a roll and having the ability to provide and allow, you know, these children's right. dreams come true, uh, you know, and bring it to another level. Now, um, Henry, is there a special message you would like to share with our listeners? You know, one of the things that has always been in the back of my mind is that if the opportunity comes to you to travel and live somewhere else and set up your roots somewhere else, um, don't be afraid to do it. Just do it. 
you will always go back to your original roots. I think I was pretty lucky that I was born in Lima, Peru, by the ocean, and I was able to do my um, my post-secondary studies in Canada. Um, when you have both elements with you, um, choose just don't think twice about it, and and just move forward with it. Henry, I would like to thank you for sharing your inspirational story with us today. And for all the listeners out there, a big thank you. And keep tuning in for our next episode. Thank you, Carla. It's been a pleasure and it's something that I haven't done it before. It's my first time and uh, hopefully um, you found some enjoyment from it. I did. Thank you so much. Thank you. Namaste.